Welcome to the Ernie Chan Show. All right, and we are live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, every single week, as you're well aware, at 12.30 sharp, every single Thursday, before NCO, during NCO, and after NCO, the Ernie Chan Show goes live. We bring to you the movers and the shakers of the respective industries, and every single week, we get to add value to our community, our entrepreneurs, and the business owners out there, and also everyone out there who's learning and listening to all my special guests. And as usual, you're well aware that I only bring in the people who can really, really move and shake this planet Earth and Malaysia. And of course, today is none other than another very notable, a very famous and of course someone who is highly respected in his profession, his legal field. Ladies and gentlemen, if you just join us on the show, I'm not going to tell you who he is. He's this suave looking man sitting on my left over here. I'll just let you kind of take a look and enjoy his presence in his office, I believe, or in his study. So you can actually get give a wild guess as to who he is. And before I tell you who he is, please do tag, share. Tag and share as many people as you can because today, a lot of value will be added because why? I, I know a lot of people are having a lot of business issues, difficulties, contract issues. They're having their jobs in the line, whether they, they are able to get their salaries, not only get the salaries, but they get cut by law, you know, there you go, a little hint over there. It's something to do with law, you know, legality. So if you are new, if you are never heard before about do not know what to do with your business, with the contracts and everything else, or you want to bring more people to understand more because they have tenancy agreement issues, there's so many things we are so concerned about because of this MCO. This MCO, we all are aware that has just been lifted for a MCO to a CMCO. And really, different states have different opinions of the MCO to a CMCO. So if you have questions about what you can do for your business or your employees or your employee, you do not know what you want to do or how you're going to go about it, communicating your organization, you can actually come to the show and ask questions because we have someone that is definitely well versed. Not like me, you know, I'll say whatever I want. I don't care about the law in that sense. I'll get myself in trouble all the time. But of course, I think it's important for us to speak to the right individuals who knows the law and someone who's able to advise us accordingly. So if you just join us over here, please do tag and share and get as many people to come onto the Ernie Chan Show so that we can benefit and we can also be able to add value to a lot of people who are very concerned because MCO has just been lifted to become CMCO, Conditional MCO, for the last four days. And today is the fourth day. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and let us all welcome Dr. David Gurupada, who is the managing partner, founder of David Gurupada and Koi. Thank you very much, Dr. David, for joining us. Hello. Hello. Hi, hi. So good to see you. Are you at home or are you in your home office or your office? No, this is my home studio as well. I work at home. I work oh, great. Excellent. Have you started work already or you are still? Uh, yes, yes. Actually, we, we, we have started work. and uh, But, uh, you know, we're only using the skeletal staff at the office. Uh, most of our staff are still working from home. Uh, okay. I think it's important to just keep people at home for a while as much as we can until. Sure. Well, 
someone so busy like you, I think this is a perfect time for you to kind of chill out a little bit or, you know, just stay away from the office and probably the people in the office don't want to see you that much anyway. You know, the boss is not yes, in the office. So. That's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So usually we have three segments of the show over here. The first segment is for the people to get to know you personally a bit better as your preferences and your choice. Uh, your choices. So I'm going to ask you three questions. There are two choices for you to pick. You have to choose one of the two and you cannot say it's neither one of them or you cannot say, I don't want to choose them. You have to pick one of the two. Are you ready? Yes. Great. I was born ready. Great, excellent. Nasi lemak or chicken rice? Nasi lemak. Nasi lemak. I noticed that you do smoke. Cigar or cigarettes? Cigar. Cigar. Holiday or business? Holiday. Holiday. Well, you see, some simple questions over there. Just to let people get a little bit about who you are by just what you smoke, what you like to eat, and what you like to do. Um, holiday, you know, you said holiday. So what about it now that travels and the industry of hospitality is totally out of whack? And I noticed that you do like scuba diving and you do travel in the mountains. So what happens then? Do you still plan to be traveling? I always, you know, look for the, the best. I look forward to something positive. I, I always believe having a positive mindset is very important. So to me, yeah, I'm already planning uh, a trip to Kilimanjaro, maybe uh, the uh, later part of the year. And, uh, you know, I'll just find a way. Yeah. Yeah. So you will find a way. So you're not so concerned about the, the COVID-19 coronavirus that is still going to be lingering around for the next one and a half to two years. You plan well, ahead to live your life. Well, you know, I think the virus is going to be there, but I think uh, by towards the end of the year, we'll probably figure something out. If it's safe, yes, uh, naturally I will try uh, to, to do it in a, a safe way. I'll never risk my, my the health and safety of the people that I care about, you know. Uh, if it's not, well, I'll just have to wait, you know. So that's, that's really the plan. But still, you know, it's something to look forward to, something to aspire to. I'm not going to say, hey, you know, it's all going to be doom and gloom for the next two years. That's not my mindset, you know. Sure. So you're advising people out there who are watching right now that you must live your life. You cannot be because of this coronavirus, MCO, post-MCO, businesses should continue and live and continue to build and people should really continue to live their life in a more safe and uh, protected measures put in place so that they can continue on with their lives? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I think the one thing that humans have, have required throughout history to meet adversity, and this is not the first time humankind has, has met adversity, is hope. When you have hope, you have nothing. Uh, if you don't have hope, you have nothing. So when you have hope, you have something. And so you can either say, oh God, the, the sky has fallen down and this is the end of everything. Or you can say, this is a new challenge. I've not met this challenge before, but I have hope. I believe in myself. I believe that I have the skills, I have the necessary mindset uh, to go through this you know but you have to do this in a very responsible manner you have to i think people have to sit to find out more there's a lot of fake news out there a lot of fake things people tell you a lot but you need to sit down and, and really find out what's real now what i do know is until we find a vaccine the data suggests that this thing could be around for another two years uh and you can't just feel sorry for yourself and lock yourself at home for two years and do nothing you know that's not the way it works you know you must find a way humanity always finds a way now, how are we going to do that? It's something that we're going to have to figure out after MCO. But we must believe. That's the most important thing. Sure. Great. Excellent. 
Now, you come from the legal profession, and I believe you've been more than 25 years in the industry of uh, the legal profession. Now, what got you into this business? Is it that when I was growing up, my parents always told me, you know, the Chinese are meant to do business. The Indians are either lawyers, engineers, or doctors. In fact, my brother is a lawyer as well. So what got you into the industry of the legal profession? Okay, well, you know, uh, interestingly, I, I, I've been going through a lot of my old things since I've been at home, you know, cleaning out. Uh, and I found my, my old primary school report card. And in the old days, in your primary school report card, you would set out every year what your ambition was, right? And strangely, every year, my ambition was rather diverse. Number one was lawyer. Number two was entertainer. And number three was scientist, which is so diverse, right? But number one was always lawyer. And, uh, and that's because when I was growing up, I used to watch two shows. Uh, when I was very young, it was a show called Crown Court. It used to be something about the old English barrister. I wanted to be a barrister. I thought they were so cool. They, they commanded a certain presence. And the other was uh, a, uh, a show about a law school called Paper Chase, about this, this uh, law school, this really horrible lecturer. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't wait to go to law school. I wanted to make a difference. I felt lawyers could make a difference. Lawyers were, were people that, that, that could do something. And, uh, and so that's, that's all I've ever wanted to be. And I'm very fortunate to have been able to achieve uh, my goal or my ambition since I was a child, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I think there's always these two schools of thoughts about lawyers. And of course, myself being growing up with a lawyer and also a lot of my brother's friends were staying with us when we were studying, you find that uh, there are two schools of thoughts of lawyer. The first school of thoughts is what you just mentioned, which you believe that lawyers can really make a difference and to help people. But then there's another school of thought about lawyers is that lawyers are just there scumbags who are just trying to help a lot of bad guys get out of problems, right? So what, <laughs> what, what do you have to say? Yeah, buddy, if, if you ever went to jail, you probably need a badass lawyer that, that's like that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I uh, no, actually, 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 you know, it, what, what's really surprising is this, right? Uh, there are, of course, like any profession, you have uh, things, you have different types of people, you know. But I can tell you safely uh, and surely for the last 25 years I've been caught, I've never had to lie to the court. I've never had to lie to anyone. I've never had to lie to anyone. I've never had to lie. Uh, I think uh, I've, uh, I believe in being honorable. Uh, I come, I'm qualified uh, as a barrister. And the place I'm qualified from is called the Honorable Society of the middle temple. So it's actually, uh, lawyering is actually known as an honorable profession. You know what I mean? Contrary to what the public, uh, of course, naturally there have been uh, a few bad apples and certain, of course, you know, fame, uh, Shakespeare famously, you know, spoke ill of lawyers and things like that, right? But uh, that's, that's a perception. Uh, but lawyers play a very important role in society, you know, uh, in defending uh, people defending rights, uh, upholding the law, upholding the rule of law, uh, creating a balance uh, in society. So uh, it's, it's actually a very important and very honorable profession. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. And of course, uh, a lot of people are telling me, you know, that David is one of the best lawyers in Malaysia. And being one of the best lawyers in Malaysia, I definitely got to ask you some very tough questions over here. And we had a government that was just a short, I think, about less than two years or two years, couple of months, which was a Pakatan Harapan, and then it switched over to a new government. And there were a lot of cases that were high-profile cases. To today, not a single individual in a high-profile is really in Sungai Buloh. So a lot of people are very confused as to 
is the legal legalities or the law is it something that's honorable in Malaysia or does it really take that long and even the attorney general that has already resigned what happens to the, those cases Do, can we really trust in the uh, the law of Malaysia because till today after so long even in the new government uh, nothing has really happened. So everyone's wondering what's going to be happening. All right. Okay. Very good question. Actually, if you Google my name, you'll see I've been involved in one or two of them. Uh, but in so far as I, I think you're referring mostly to the corruption cases. Uh, and I think uh, some, uh, what, what the, what's happened is some of the bigger ones. Okay. We, we're talking really about maybe Najib and uh, actually let's talk about one MDB really. And uh, you must understand that it's a, it's a very complicated uh, case. And when you go to court, you, you must be able to meet the charge. So if the prosecution or the attorney general accuse you and say you did this, that, you did one, two, three, four, then the burden of proof is very high. It's beyond reasonable doubt that there cannot even be a shadow of a doubt that you did it. And to get to that level in a commercial case, is not very easy. So you need to collate a lot of information and then you need witnesses. You know, you need to make sure that you have enough witnesses who are going to be able to support the evidence, right? So that is going to take some time. And then don't forget that you can't just go into court and say, hey, I want a date tomorrow. It doesn't happen like that because courts have got fixed dates, you know, and usually they're hearing cases that were filed maybe a year before, you know? So by the time you get to court, it's almost a year later. And then, of course, when you use uh, very high-profile lawyers, these high-profile lawyers are also involved in other cases and they have to set their time. Uh, so it's quite normal to see that it takes a, a slightly longer period. Of course, if you stole a loaf of bread, for example, and somebody saw you stealing a loaf of bread, that's very easy, right? I got the CCTV camera. I got the manager who says, yes, this person stole a loaf of bread. Yes, boom. You know, you got the proof. It's over just like that. But in all these complex transactions involving different countries, involving uh, evidence, involving banks, involving serving subpoenas and things like that, it is going to take some time. So I believe that uh, in Malaysia, we have the rule of law. And, you know, regardless, I know that, you know, in the past, uh, there have been a lot of allegations of certain things that did not go right and things like that. But I, I want to assure you of one thing, sir. We have a very good judiciary. Okay, we, uh, you, know, you know, over the last 25 years, I think we have a very good chief justice. Uh, the, the CJ is very good. And uh, we have some very good judges. We've got very honorable. If you look at a lot of the decisions that have come in between, uh, forget about the delay and all these things, but if you look at the decisions in the interlocutory, all the in-between, those decisions have been very sound, you know. In all the judges who have been involved in it from the forfeiture, to the you know uh, other sort of uh, judges that are hearing these cases, all the interlocutory decisions have followed the law. There has been no special privilege given, and and nobody can turn around and say, well, you know that judge, uh, you know there's some question mark over the decision. So so far, uh, the the process is going okay. All right. Now, um, naturally, we had a, as you say, we had a different government. Over the last few years, now we have a new so-called group of people in charge. How that is going to affect the whole system is yet to be seen. We have a new attorney general. Is he really going to go after uh, these people in the same way? That needs to we need to we need to look at it. But I have no reason to believe that the 
the process of law is not going to go through because everybody has seen the evidence. It's been it's already out there. You know now the question is really um, can they prove the charge? And if they can, then they will um, they will succeed. But don't forget this is not about uh, this is about the law. So at the end of the day, can you prove that a crime has uh, been committed beyond reasonable doubt? If not, too bad, you know, that, that's the process, that's, that's the law. So I think what you have stated is that a lot of people feel the reality is that when you are a high-profile individual and you have high-profile lawyers and you have a lot of money, anything can be done in Malaysia. That is the perception. And perception becomes reality when there are a lot of people who talk about it. So in what sense then does the justice pay, does it actually really have, have justice in any way? Because people just don't have that confidence. See, justice is a process. If you really want to think about it, justice is not your idea of, well, this is right and this is wrong and he should be this because of this. That's not justice in the way that our justice system is. Our justice system defines or looks at justice as a process. That means, you know, there's a process, it's an adversarial system. One party must prove against the other, one party must defend. It's a process. Have you done your job? Have you crossed the threshold? There are rules. Have you played within the rules? Have you played fairly? You, you understand what I'm saying? So then that is the idea of justice. It's not like, oh, well, you know, there's enough evidence from the face of it, so he should be guilty and he should go to jail. It doesn't work like that. That's not justice in Malaysia, number one. And, and number two is that the public must understand one thing. That is, they are not aware of all the facts. Okay? Lawyers are fair, aware of all the facts. Right? We know yeah. what the evidence is. We know who is right. We know who is wrong. But unfortunately, the public, they, they, it's like a football team, right? Oh, I like Liverpool or I like Manchester United. They fall into different categories. And then they will support that person regardless of what the reality is. You know, so for example, if you let's just take the a common case that's out there, right? The one MDB case. If you are a pro no person, you might say no, or school. You get what I mean? If you're anti, you will say no, the yeah. other side. You you get you get one thing. So the, the public is they they they're not uh, impartial. But as in, in the judicial system, in the system of administration of justice, even a lawyer cannot be partial. If you feel that you are partial, you should not take the case. You have to deal with it in an impartial way. So a lot of times, the, the public may come to an opinion without knowing the facts. And these facts need to be verified. For example, A, in the coffee shop, that guy said this, lah, you know, this evidence is there, lah, no, lah, this one happened, that happened, you know. But that's not a, that may not be a fact. That they may have to be proved or they may have to be a reason or some other thing that happened, you know. So um, sometimes it's best to just let the process take its course. And, uh, and I can assure you, really, we have very, very good judges, very honorable judges. And, and I trust the process. I trust the system. Great. I don't know about the politicians, but the system is spot on. Okay? That's interesting, you know. This is the first time that I'm actually listening to a person who's been in the legal profession that is so... Um, so trusting of the system because I mean I'm not a lawyer and I deal with a lot of lawyers some lawyers then themselves do not believe in the system and I mean the first time I'm listening to someone who's saying that we have really good judges over here perhaps the media have played a role in 
really diluting the respect for the uh, the justice system. And in many ways, I think it's important for the, the, the mass Malaysians or even the people to really listen to someone who is a bipartisan like yourself, who is more so of wanting the, to educate the people as to the current situation. Now, I, I'm interested to find out a bit more as to can, just like anything, a lawyer can be bought, a judge can be bought. It, does it mean that if we are able to pay a better fee to a lawyer, we can literally get away with anything? That's not true. I mean, of course, lawyers come in different categories, right? It's like a boxing match, okay? Yeah. Can you afford to pay Mike Tyson? You, if you can afford, afford to pay Mike, Mike Tyson and then the other guy can only afford to pay a, an amateur, you know who's going to win in the ring, correct? Because, for example, Mike Tyson, I'm saying that because apparently he's coming back into the ring, by the way. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? So, so that's, that's the same thing it is in court. You know, in court, it's an adversarial system. It's a fight. It's like a ring. And yeah. you need someone who has a lot of experience. And of course, a person with a lot of experience, for example, I mean, it's market what, right? It's not because, oh, he's very expensive, you pay the lawyer, no. Like, for example, for me, I can get 10 people who want my services, but hey, I only got, I can only serve one client because of my time. Of course, I will choose the one that offered to pay me the most money. Sure. doesn't mean I, I charge more. It's just that the market is such, right? It, like any other market, you get what I mean? Even the yeah. fish, some fish are more expensive than the other, depending on how difficult it is to get. And likewise, lawyers are like that. So some lawyers are priced higher because they have certain skill sets or they have certain experience in, in handling these type of cases. So they're better prepared to go into that fight. And in that sense, when you pay a better lawyer who has more experience, you're right. You stand a better chance of winning the case. Not necessarily fixing the case, but winning the case. Sure. Lawyers fixing the case should go to jail. Yeah, lawyers fixing a case should go to jail. But I just want to ask one thing, right? I mean, there are all sorts of lawyers out there. Would you trust a lawyer that says, I can fix a case for you? Hell no. Hell no. You know why? You know why? Listen, if you find a lawyer who says, you give me the money and I'll fix the case for you with the judge, report him immediately because it's a scam. You know why it's a scam? Because firstly, you have to buy this lawyer and maybe he can buy the judge, maybe. But then what happens if he goes on appeal? Then you've got three judges there. Then after that, if it goes further up on appeal, how many judges can you buy? So any lawyer that tells you he can buy a judge is doing a very big disservice to the profession. We, lawyers like that actually bring down the impression of uh, the profession to the public. You know, always I always believe one thing, okay, Ernie, is when you want to do something, do something properly. So for example, when you want to buy a house, People always say, oh, I want to discount, I want to pay cheap price, right? So they go for a cheap lawyer. But imagine one thing, a house is usually a, the biggest investment somebody makes in their entire life. And you want to trust it to someone who may be very junior, who may run away with your stake holding, who may run away with your deposit, who may screw up the transaction, you might end up having a loan and don't know where the property is. Would you want to do that? No. If, if you wanted to buy a house, which is the largest investment, you want to go to someone who is very established, a firm that is established, the firm that has got so many people, they can't run away. They can't take your money and run away. You know what I mean? Or if they do something wrong, if you sue them, they have insurance to cover you. So you're paying for all of that. So I think the public must understand that it's not about cheap, expensive. Uh, you know, it's about 
really a quality of what you want. You know, yeah. it's like I love cars, right? Yeah. I think there's a big difference between a Ferrari and a Cantil, even though they got four tires <laughs> and it's get from A to B. Do but, you know what I mean? But a lot of people will come back and tell you that today I I I can only afford a Cantil. It's not I don't appreciate your services. It's not that I don't appreciate how good you are. That's why I feel that I, I would like to hire, I would like to be able to pay for you, but I cannot afford you. I would like to be sitting uh, in a Lamborghini. I'm talking about things like convincing and things like that, right? But yeah. if mostly, you know, those kind of things, right? You want to get a will done. You want to get a tenancy agreement done. You want to do a sale and purchase, and especially sale and purchases, SPAs. You know, you, you know I, I find that, uh, clients always come and they say, hey, that lawyer is giving a discount. This lawyer is giving a discount. But hang on, do they pay insurance? Do they do they have very strict rules on, on holding stake, holding and things like that? So why take those kind of risks? Why do you want to get into a contract and you want to find it cheap because you can't afford it, but you can buy a big house or you, you want a big contract, you just got a multi-million dollar contract, but you want to pay the lawyer 500 ringgit for the agreement? And the floor just gives you an agreement, okay? And then suddenly you have invested two million of your money in there, and and you have lost that two million because your contract wasn't good enough. And then you blame who are you to blame? You you understand what I'm saying? That, that's what I'm saying. Uh, value sometimes commensurates with the price you pay for what you get. That's what I mean by the Cancel and the Ferrari sometimes. You know, so so it's not really, you know. Understand. Understand. Now, I'm sure in this uh, post-MCO situation, or even right now, you specialize in disputes, and there's definitely a lot of disputes of contracts and agreements. Not so much because the businesses wanted to delay or even not fulfill the contracts, but because we are not allowed to work, we are not allowed to produce or manufacture. So what would happen in such a situation for a lot of these businesses out there? Do they really have to pay the... The, the delays or the, the contract's terms of what would happen, who is in the right and who is in the wrong, is it really the fault of the manufacturers or the producers of the content or the products itself? Okay, I think uh, to make it very simple and across the board, that applies to everything across the board, right? The laws haven't changed. The situation has changed. The laws haven't changed. So the old law, is going to still be applicable to the current situation. That's the easiest way I can explain this, okay? So the law hasn't changed. So you must remember what was the law before the virus? The law before the virus was, if you have to meet your obligation, whether it's to your, your staff, whether it's to your supplier, whether it's to whatever, your developer and your LEDs, the law is still the same and your obligation is still the same. The only question is the content of your contract. What does the content of your contract say? Does your contract have a get out of jail card like Monopoly? You get what I mean? Yeah. Does, is there a provision that says a force majeure specific that includes pandemic that allows you to get out of the contract? I can assure you if you use a cheap lawyer, there's probably not that clause in there. Yeah. Maybe a good lawyer would have put a clause in there. That is this long and charged you extra. You understand what I'm saying? Come back to the point. But if that force majeure clause has the word pandemic, illnesses, outbreak, government rule, government regulation, uh, enforced uh, uh, situation, 
uh, emergency usually is covered under force majeure. And if it is specific, then you may be able to say, I can use this force majeure to rescind from my obligations to pay. But very rarely will you find a clause in there like that. And this is not an emergency. You know, the government was very smart. They didn't use the word emergency because if they use the word emergency, what happens is insurance policies get rescinded as well. Uh, you know, so a lot of things will happen. You know, there's always a knock-on effect and people don't understand that, right? People must understand that if, if it's so easy to let you off your hook, you other people that you are going to rely on will also be let off the hook. That means if you say, I don't want to pay my supplier, the insurance company that has insured you may also say, I don't need to pay out to you under the same clause. Yeah. You see? So... It's, it's not as straightforward as that. So as far as the general rule is, the law before the MCO applies even now, unless it is specifically excluded by the government. And the government really cannot simply change laws. Yep. So it's not going to be easy to do. So you have just pointed out a very good point, you know. Nothing has changed. The law has not changed. We are in a situation that nobody wanted it to be as such. And the reality is that the businesses are suffering because of this reason and this situation. What would be your advice to these businesses if they don't have the, uh, the, the, those keywords that's in the contract, the details of it? What would you advise to them right now? Go see a lawyer or go see the, the business partners or the clients? What should they be doing right now? Okay, well, okay, you see, that's... Uh, before I answer that question, I want to I want to I want to point something out to you, right? So, uh, being a lawyer of so many years, I've also been involved in situations where we've changed the law on many occasions, right? I've, a lot of my cases have been have, have changed the law in many ways, right? Lawyers do that. Now, because this is a novel situation that we're in, this is the first time you have a scenario where the government forces you to stay home, and the government says you cannot sell your goods, you cannot supply and things like that, right? So although you may not have a force majeure clause, what will be very interesting right now is to test the law on whether this amounts to a event that frustrates the contract, you know? That means something that was not caused by me or you, that was not our fault, that we could not have anticipated when we went into this contract. When we went into this contract, we anticipated this, it was, it's not my fault, it's not your fault. So there is a provision in law which allows us to frustrate the contract. But we have not had a situation such as this with a pandemic to be able to say for certain in Malaysia, we can use this argument. But certainly, I foresee after this, myself and a lot of lawyers will be going to court to be able to test this point of law, which is new. And it may be that there may be one court or there may be that the court might then decide that yes, when the parties entered into this contract, when they came, when they had a meeting of the mind, they anticipated in good faith that they would be able to do this business. However, something happened not due to anybody's fault that they could not have anticipated at the time they entered into the contract. And so that should be a frustration. That should be an event or an action that allows them to frustrate the contract. That is a possible argument that can be tested. And I am already going to be testing those kind of 
things out in court as soon as I get a chance to be unleashed and do what I do, which is kick ass for a living, right? Ah. So I'm going to test that. I think you enjoy what you do. You see, when I ask you a question, you seem like a person who enjoys your drink and your cigars, but when it comes to talking about law, you're just all fired up to test this law. I think it's amazing. It's great. And I love talking to people like you. Um, you were saying that you're going to test the law. So I've learned this from another lawyer friend of mine, and he's always mentioned this. Everything is permissible until prohibited. Is that yeah. what we can look at regards to every single thing, regards to the law? Because as long as there is no statement of law or a particular clause or act, means to say everything is possible. So we should go ahead and do things and be then fighting for the rights of it. Uh, no, you need to uh, be more specific. Are you talking about, in a contract situation, it's actually very fixed. The law is very clear. What you can do and what you can't do in a contract is already fixed, right? So you have to follow the terms of the contract. It's clear. It's clear it will be interpreted in a certain way. So it's, it's very specific. But if you're talking about generally, like the government says, uh, okay, now you can, all industries industries can can go out and do business, right? And you're not really sure then what happens, okay? So the first thing to do is look at what is actually gestured under the CMCO, okay? So when you had the MCO, it was different. With the MCO, they restricted everything and then they said, okay, you can do this. You can, one person can go in a car, two they restricted everything and then they, they had specific things that you could do, which was slightly clearer. Now with the CMCO, they open up everything and then they make the restrictions, which is the opposite. Right, so um, what is very important is to seek clarification. And you can't just say, oh, since it's not clear, so I should be able to do it. No, you have to act reasonably. Everybody has will be expected to act reasonably. So let's say you are in a certain business you don't know. What are you supposed to do? You are supposed to say, okay, I went to check with Miti or I went to check with this government department. And then this government department say can. Then another department cannot say cannot later, never mind. You go to court, you say, I, I checked, they say can, right? If they say cannot, then you cannot, correct? So, you, but you have, you cannot just say, well, I think everything can until they say cannot, no. The obligation in under the law is you have to take the first step to check. That, that would be reasonable. That's right. right. That's, that's yeah, I think that's a good point there. Uh, a lot of people are very concerned about one thing. This CMCO means to say majority of the industry, everyone is allowed to go back out to work. And I believe there was a statement that a lot of people are asking me the same thing, which is if anything happens to your employee or anything happens to your organization, I'm not sure how true this is. The responsibility is on the organization because you chose to start your business again and operate it. If anything happens to your employee or your facilities or even potential clients, you are liable to take care of all those expenses and costs of that. Is that true? You're absolutely right. That, that's exactly the position. You know what it is? That's the, that's the position. And also, I, I believe the other thing that you need to add to that is that the insurance may not cover. Because then that might be seen as an act that you have caused. You know, it's not, you know, like most, like even my law firm, you know, we're insured for everything. Somebody comes in, the light bulb drops on his head, we're insured. Yeah. The insurance company pays out, you know, or if somebody's sick, of course, the medical staff or whatever, we have insurance to take care of things like that. But when you are in such a situation, you might find that you may not get your occupier's liability insurance. You may not 
So those those things, those backend things might also fail you at this point in time. So it may be a very big risk. So should the bosses then just decide to just close shop for the next nine months and then say bye-bye to all the staff? You know, you guys are on your own. You're screwed. Because why? I can't take the risk. I cannot be affording anything that goes wrong over here. Is no, that what you want people to do? No, I think as I, I come back to the point of doing something that's reasonable. Okay. So for example, if you feel you want to go back into business and it's encouraged, it's actually encouraged. Yeah. It's encouraged for you to, to, to try to get back, do some business, help yourself out, uh, keep people in jobs. There, there is a responsibility as a businessman, as a business owner. Like I, I have a law firm, we have many staff and we are not letting go of anyone at the moment because they've been with us during the good times. We have to be with them during the bad times, you know, and a lot of people feel that way, but to do that, we also need to do business. So the question then that arises is, have you acted reasonably? So like, for example, we have taken certain steps in compliance, like there's registration, there's hand sanitizers, there's masks, there's a distance to which you can be. We only put essential staff in the office that are only absolutely required. And we make sure that they are seated far apart from each other. We split them into shifts, even half day, half day work from home. You know, so we, whatever we can do to minimize the risk to the public and to our, mainly to us, our own staff to make sure they are healthy. We, as long as we have put our mind to it, we have taken the steps, we've put the notices out and we enforce it and make sure that everybody's tested before they come in, sanitized before they come in, everybody's wearing a face mask, following the guidelines that have been given by the Ministry of Health. Then, you cannot come and say, oh, I got it because I went, because then we will say government allows us to do business, that we follow the Ministry of Health uh, regulations, and but you got it, too bad. And there's nobody that can say we are responsible in a situation like that. Yeah, so that would be my advice. Okay, and I understand that uh, you are very experienced with the international uh, scene as well, as well as local. I know that uh, in America, our Donald Trump is wanting to sue China. And also, of course, from that perspective, is that possible for this Wuhan China virus, Wuhan virus, and also locally, can the Malaysians actually sue the government for such a thing? That's something I'm interested to find out more for myself. I mean, firstly, you know, I honestly, when I see the news of Donald Trump, I, I don't know whether it's a, it's a reality show or it's, it's, it's a movie. You know, uh, a lot of things that he says, like, oh, I don't know, maybe we can take some, you know, uh, Detergent or something. Uh, but yeah. uh, so, so I, I, you know, I, I put it in context. Uh, firstly, if America tries to do that, then do you sue somebody for Ebola? Do you, which country do you sue for the Spanish flu? Which country? Do you, what if there was a strain of new flu that came out of America that came to Malaysia? Do we sue America? I mean, you know, you can't. It's ridiculous. Okay, that's number one. And number two is until today, they still can't prove where it came from. Some people say it came from America. There's, there's, there is a body of evidence that says, you know, like if you look at a paper put out by the University of Cambridge, yeah. it becomes very clear that that virus probably didn't originate in Wuhan. A scientific paper from the University of Cambridge is there, right? So who's right and who's wrong? So even if you try to do that, it would be very difficult, okay? But America plays the game in a different way because they have extraterritorial laws, right? So internally, they say, well, you know what? We are going to sanction the shit out of this country. They will. 
you know, and, and they have, they are an economic power in that way and they do abuse. Uh, and we know that it's not just me saying that Emmanuel Macron has said that and, uh, you know, some of the European leaders have said that the Chinese president has said that. So it's not decimatory in any way. But uh, sometimes, you know, they, they, they do that. They, they, and it's not just America that does it. A lot of other countries do economic warfare, you know. And so uh, I, wouldn't take, I wouldn't take it very seriously uh, because there are a lot of, it, it's not so straightforward to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to sue China for, for this flu, right? So can the Iraqis <laughs> sue? Can, I, ask, I, ask a very, I ask a very interesting question, okay? I think that Iraqis will probably have a better case against the Americans and the Brits for invading their country on mistaken intelligence yeah. than America has a case against China for the Wuhan flu. That I can tell you from a legal perspective. That's, you know a, I mean? that, that's a good perspective to look into it. I think that's great. Now, we have very quickly come to the uh, end of the show. You know, when you're having a good time, uh, learning a lot of things, asking a lot oh, of questions. <laughs> it's so fast, you know. Uh, for those business owners or employees out there in this pandemic situation, I think you have been to three times of the cycle. I've been to twice myself of this crisis, you know. Uh, I've never seen such a phenomenon in that sense. What should the businesses and the individuals out there that will be losing their jobs and also losing their businesses, what would be your advice to them? Uh, how do they actually go about from every sense, because I think law is the last thing that's on their mind right now, because people just want to be able to put food on the table. They're so concerned. I drove around yesterday, going to my uh, office for the first time, and looking at all the shops, there's so many shops that are still not open. And then I went to mine shopping mall just to grab some stuff. Literally, it was a date city, a date town, or date mall. There was nothing. So really, what should people really be looking forward to or doing right now? Because people just don't seem to be daring to step out to do anything other than those who need to go back to office to work. Okay, so, um, you know, there, there's the other side to this, right? Which, okay, the first thing is, the first thing you need to do is have a plan, figure out how you're going to manage for the short term, the medium term, and the long term. Uh, everybody needs a plan. The second thing is you need to find, you need to be resourceful. If you're a business owner, you need to figure out how to be more efficient, how to make more money and find different ways to make money. And remember in the last two recessions that you went through and the three recessions, we didn't have technology as good as what we have now. Yep. You know, we could, you know, if this happened 10 years ago, everybody would die because you couldn't order a grab or a pizza, for example. You know what I mean? You can lock people down today and people can still be quite happy, you know. I mean, you look at the FB feeds, everybody's happy. You know, can you imagine 10 years ago without technology, right? So we have technology. We have to adopt and we have to adapt to technology. We have to adapt ourselves to this scenario. We have to figure out how we... Look, me and you, we're using Zoom. Before the MCO, I didn't know about Zoom, you know. You, you understand what I'm saying? No, really, I didn't know about Zoom, you know, before the MCO. So people are already adapting and, and businesses need to start adapting. Some businesses may have to change. Some services will never be the same again. You cannot do that business. You have to figure out some other business. But people who are resourceful, people who are hardworking, people who are ingenious, people who think of ideas, they will succeed. For example, I have a friend. You know how much, you know, every day she's, she, she, she got late. No, she didn't get laid off. She was asked to work from home during the MCO. She's an accountant. She started selling cheese online, you know, 
And now, Raya, she cannot meet the orders, right? And she's like an entrepreneur, right? So everybody's business is, I can't open my business. She's going like, oh, shit, I need people to help me to my business. In three weeks, just on the phone, you know? People are, you know, I've, and, and people who wouldn't sell things before now, I got live crab, really, it's a lot easier. I can buy crab, I can buy prawn, everybody's sharing everything on FB, you know? So we have to start figuring out how all this technology is going to help us today, right? Just like we are doing this today and through this technology, we, we are sharing our information out with somebody. Somebody doesn't need to go to MPH to buy a book and say, hey, this is Ernie Chen, number one business coach to learn everything that you're trying to do today. Today, you reach more people, be more impactful through a free app for most people like me. Anyway, you know, so, I think it's a I mean, you pointed rightly. Uh, five weeks ago, I've never ever done anything online with regards to selling. I've uh, done a lot of shows online, a lot of content online, but I've never ever sold anything. Within a five weeks period, I started selling books, started selling my webinars, I started selling health products. I started now. I'm also negotiating to sell fish, wild patin fish. You know, so I think yeah. when you brought up your friend, accountant selling cheesecake, yeah. people cannot imagine an accountant selling cheesecake. Uh, people yeah. cannot imagine me selling fish or health product. So it's a matter of a mindset of that we can really do anything and everything. It's just a matter whether we are willing to do or not. So if David is not a lawyer, is not a top lawyer in Malaysia, what would you be doing today? If I was not a lawyer, I'd be an entertainer. I'd be playing in a pub and I'd be singing and I would be entertaining everybody. You know, I would be rocking it. I think that's an amazing, amazing thing because in times like this, everybody needs more entertainment to keep us alive and excited. I cannot wait to meet you in person and to come and support your show. You should definitely go to a pub and play Friday nights or Saturday nights. I will. And For then, you, I will. Yes, and I'll promote the show and I'll come with a whole gang to come and support and watch Thank and have a drink with you, man. So... So good to meet you. It's so good to have a chat over here with you. Thanks for coming on to the Early Chance Show. Lovely. I definitely Lovely. feel my audience here have gained a lot and definitely learned a lot here as to the approach to moving forward. And definitely, we will sit down and definitely have a drink together and also support your show when you play at the pub. Because you do, do have some killer, 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 killer music playing down there. So thank you so much, Dr. David. Thank, thank you, you so you. much. You. I'll, I'll see, see you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ernie Chan Show. Don't forget to like and follow my FB page every single day. And of course, stay tuned every Thursday at 12.30pm where I'll be watching you live.